Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership and practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Now that we're officially finished our first season, we've decided to spice things up a little bit over the summer for your listening enjoyment. Every two weeks, we're releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, but in long form, so we can share even more delicious insights with you. The secret good stuff that you didn't get to hear. So listen in, grab a margarita. No, no, that's awful. Awful sounding and probably tasting too. Okay, okay. Grab a dakiri. Enjoy some easy breezy listening by the poolside with your favorite podcast hosts and let us know what you think in the review section. This week, we're sharing an exciting interview from the one, the only, Courtney Bueller, the founder of Sugarlash Pro. She's a patron of ours at PB&J, our e-com agency, and quickly becoming a good friend. Um, P.S. Court, if, you, if you're listening, thanks for accepting my uh, Facebook friend request. In only four years, Sugar Lash has exploded from a small, home-based business into the third largest lash beauty brand on the planet that's been featured in Cosmopolitan, Bustle, InStyle, and is sold in over 90 countries. Courtney shares her Sugar Lash Pro tips on taking a D2C brand from her living room to the global stage. We chat leadership styles, finding your niche, finding yourself, and what it takes to truly put customers first. Let's hop in. My name is Courtney Bueller, and I am the founder and CEO of Sugar Lash Pro. So Kyle and I love stories. Why don't we start with yours? Give us the, the brief rundown of your story with Sugar Lash and starting that company and, and kind of where it, where it came from, why, all, all the juicy deets. It's been quite a journey. It, it starts, I guess the journey starts long before Sugar Lash Pro. And that was when I, I was 18. I was pregnant at the time. And everyone thought my life was over. And I was like, guys, just calm down. I'll sort it out. And at the same time, I just moved back in with my parents trying to get back on my feet. And I was texting by my mom one day and she said, eyelash extensions are a thing. Like we'd never, you'd never heard of it before. This is like, <laughs> this is 14 years ago now. So she's like, eyelash extensions are a thing, which was just like mind blowing at the time. And she's like, we should go because in my family, it was like me, my mom had the worst lashes. And then I have two sisters and they had awesome lashes. So we were like jealous of them all the time. So I went and got them done uh, just in this woman's house. And it was just kind of this home-based thing. And I thought it was super cool. But I like right away was just so like manic about the whole situation. I'm like, what are you doing? How are you applying them? What, what lengths is there? What curls? And she was just like, oh my gosh, just shut up and let me take your lashes. Like <laughs> stop being such a weirdo. And I just was obsessed with it instantly. And so I, the the moment I got them done, like 
I just, for me, like years of wearing mascara and never being able to get the length that you wanted. And all of a sudden having these like sky high lashes, it was just like such an empowerment thing for me. And so, yeah, I was just instantly hooked. And so like fun fact, obviously I was, I was working retail at the time and, you know, just trying to get back on my feet and everything. And so money was tight, but I actually cleaned my lash lady's house just in order to get lashes, like just in order to afford them. Um, scrubbed her toilets. Her kids played a prank on me and put fake poo on the toilet. And I thought it actually was real. And I broke their toilet because I put it in and flushed it and broke her toilet. So it cost me like $800. Anyways, that was just a fun side fact. But nonetheless, I love my lashes. I did whatever I needed to do to have them. Like could not be without them ever. Still cannot be without them. And my lash technician that I was grilling she was one that said I should take a course. And so I did. And it was a really poor one at the time, just kind of an afternoon course that I didn't feel like I had a lot of theory behind. But I started lashing like part time and then was working very quickly 60 hour work weeks. And I was like, wait a minute, this was supposed to be like flexible and cool. And then it wasn't that. And so hired my first employee, which I had like no dreams of doing. There was no aspirations to be like, I'll open a salon or anything. Hired another one, hired another one. So at the busiest point in my career, home-based, I had six full-time staff and we were seeing anywhere from 50 to like 65 people per day in and out of my home, which was highly illegal if that wasn't clear. (laughs) I don't know what everyone thought we were doing in the neighborhood, but they put up with it for a long time. And then when they started to get annoyed by it and we were starting to run into issues, I had already kind of started the the commercial space build out and I built a salon, uh, took it to 10 staff. And then that was kind of the turning point for Sugar Lash Pro and when I decided to create it because everyone was asking like, can I fly in and get trained with you? What product you're using? And I just thought, yeah, I can I can keep all the, you know, the know-how of the trial and error that I've developed over the years to myself, or I can decide to like think a little bit bigger and actually have a real impact on the industry. So that's what we did. And Sugar Lash Pro just turned seven this year. And we're in, I think it's 94 countries around the world with like 165,000 lash artists currently using our product. That's crazy. So seven years, 90, over 90 countries. And how many people? 165,000 was the last count that we did last week. Artists using your product. Yes. Or that have used it or have done the academy side. There's different facets, but yes, that's our, that's our list at the moment. And you know what? You're going to get into it. You're going to say, how did you get so global? How did you? And I'll tell you the secret. It's really bad ad targeting. Really bad ad. Okay. Tell me more. I, we've got to hear about this. So from day one, I just, I didn't know how to use like proper Facebook ads or pick proper audiences. And so I just would target interests opposed to locations. And the lash like industry was so little at the time. So there was like lots of Facebook forums and stuff with just people all over the world. But like when I came into the industry, it was brand new. So there was really only like at max capacity, there was like 1,200 artists around the globe. It was just a little, little pool of us. And then there was kind of like 15 of us, which are still kind of the 15 that are like kind of the leaders in the industry. Anyways, but I would do ads and I would just target people that are interested in eyelash extensions or mascara or estheticians or whatever. And I would just put it global. And so these ads were shown to just people all over the world. And right from launch, we were shipping stuff to Paris and Australia and Indonesia. And it was just like, 
bizarre, which is funny because looking back on it, people are like, you know, there's other people in the same space that are like, oh, how do you break into new <laughs> into new markets. markets? And I'm like, yeah. well, just put ads in front of them, I guess. I love everything about that. That is so, <laughs> so good. Just like, I just didn't know what I was doing on this thing. And it just, you know, sometimes our biggest, not mistakes, our biggest, uh, what do you call that? Biggest oopses are like the biggest opportunities. Accidents. Let's say accidents. Accidents. Like the poop in the toilet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. There wasn't a win on that one, but yeah, there fair. was a win on this one. And no, it's just, it's just one of those things that it's, I mean, it's such a blessing, but I think that that's kind of the key is like, when you don't know what you're doing, I wasn't going to not put ads out there. So I knew I was just going to do it, even though I could have, you know, spent days researching it and figuring out how to target your audience, but I just kind of did it. And I knew that I had this money to throw at it. And so I did. And then, yeah, it just, it was like the best thing that's ever happened to the company. And then from like day one, we were just global and we've only like expanded from there. You said something really really profound to me anyway, I think, Courtney, and let's, let's talk about it for a second. So yes, specific to ads, you were like, okay, I didn't really know anything about it. So I just kind of did it. But like, looking at this as a theme, it sounds like this foray into you leading a very large market leading global brand was not an accident, but it's happened very organically and it's grown mm -hmm. over time. And it wasn't what you'd set out to do was like, I'm going to be a founder of a global lash brand. Right. And it, it, am I right in that? Is that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I think the whole thing has just been kind of like trudging forward and it is what it is kind of thing. I, okay. I love that. And so if we take the theme of the ads and we extrapolate a bit, you're essentially saying that knowledge and experience are not necessarily equal to just going for it, to following what happens and letting growth and vision build organically. Yeah. Like I think just my whole mindset as a CEO, which is bizarre to me. Like if you would have told me in high school, like I was the student in high school that struggled academically. I was like, I was always a leader. I was always like the captain of all the sports teams and I was student council president and I was this and that. But academically, I really, really struggled. And my teachers would always say like, if you could just apply yourself, like you're so smart, just apply yourself. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I don't want to apply myself to social studies, you know? And mm -hmm. I felt very boxed in. And then as I, I guess, kind of realized that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it wasn't even really a realization. It was just kind of, you started it and did it. I guess the whole mindset is that, there isn't such thing as a failure. And I still, I still kind of lead like that where it's just like, let's just do it. And then let's see how it goes. And then if it's a flop, right? Like I think there's flops. I don't think there's failures. Your failures are going to be those stepping stones that teach you what you need to be taught. But I'm such a tactile learning person that I need to just do it. And then I'll learn the lesson and then it won't happen again. So that's when it kind of my just career in a nutshell is just kind of trying this? Does it work? No. Okay. What did I learn from it? Okay. Let's use that moving forward and try again. I think that's such good advice. So if, if you were a dinosaur, you would be a velociraptor. Is that, that's a really smart one, but like yeah, the, that, that just like keeps trying different parts of the fence before it yes, breaks through. I would yeah. be a velociraptor. That's so cool. <laughs> okay, that's my, that's my favorite my dinosaur. dinosaur. So that's the title of this episode. <laughs> Courtney Bueller, the Velociraptor. <laughs> the Velociraptor, yeah, yeah, brilliant. And that might be the segment, Kyle. Um, if you were a dinosaur, what dinosaur would you be?
All right. So to, to pull it back, though, out of the out of the Cretaceous period, um, <laughs> looking at that kind of organic growth, that CEO mindset, what are some of the things that you feel give you or founder CEOs a unique edge in their respective spaces? I think for me, like lots of the uh, success that came from the early days of Sugar Lash Pro was the fact that I was so inherently tied to being a lash artist myself. So being on the other side of it and, you know, starting small, like the cool thing about me, I guess, is that I've been on every single side that you can be in on in the lash industry. I had the solo based home based, like just, just me lashing out of a spare bedroom. And then I had a larger scale home based business. And then I had a commercial space and then, you know, I was going to open up another space. And then we decided not to do that just because it was a lot of work, but knowing all those pain points, like inherently as a lash artist and all the holes in the industry and all the frustrations that I would come up against. So like, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like lash companies just need to keep stock. There were so many times that I was like, they're out of stock and not that we've been perfect with Sugar Lash Pro, but I know for sure that the pillars and the things that would steer me away from doing business with a company. And so I make sure that those are the pillars that we're always keeping in mind. Um, there was other things like in the lash industry, lots of companies at that time when we kind of got started, it was like, if you took that training, you had to sign a contract to say that you'd exclusively use their products like forever, or you'd lose your certification, which I was like, that's crazy. Like that just gives such companies, such a, like a loophole just to not stay innovative and not stay on it. And I was like, you guys can use whatever you want. I'll have the best product, but if you want to use other brands, then that's fine. But I was like so confident in what we were bringing to the table that I knew that they'd use our product anyway. So I never wanted to like lock people in or, or make them feel like they had to go with us so that, that we're, they're making this big decision of like who to get in bed with, so to speak. It was just going to be this organic thing. And they, people do still, like they, they use Sugar Lash and then they'll kind of go around and try other people. Lash art is the industry's like very volatile people because it's so new still, right? So people haven't like made up their minds. Everyone wants the newest, greatest thing. So people will bounce around, but I think just making sure that you have what they need and then giving amazing customer service and an amazing experience. And they're always going to come back no matter if they try other people or not. You know, a, a lot of D2C brands that we've been talking to, whether they saw hardship or maybe some of the best times of their lives, 2020 yeah. has been a really friggin' weird year. What were some of the big things that you had to come face to face with as a CEO in pivoting with SLP, with like expectations or plans or product lines or like y you yeah. tell us, but what did that, what did that year bring and what did you and, and are you still kind of working with in terms of um, meeting what was required of you and, and the brand? Yeah, it was definitely a year for the books, like for everybody. We in the history of like Sugar Lash, we've never, you know, laid anyone off or, or had to make any of those calls. And it was definitely new territory. Like we went in the personal services industry, you know, we we are, I guess, B2C, but our, our consumer is still a business. So it's kind of B2B, it's kind of B2C, it's kind of a weird um, flow there. But with that said, at the beginning, when stuff, when COVID was hitting, and it was like, we knew it was getting worse and worse and worse. At that point, like my team was like, what are we going to do? We should do a big sale on lashes, we should do this. And I was like, I remember it, like I can, I can like very clearly remember it. I was at my house and uh, whenever I, I live on an acreage, like on a lake and I was just, I was just so stressed and I always just go down by the water. Like when I, 
um, stressed and I was like looking at the water and I, um, I was just like, I can do a sail or I can do whatever. But the fact of the matter is like, I know that it's going to get worse. And I know that they shouldn't be doing lashes, but no one had said that yet. Like there was no mandates. It was just like, obviously we shouldn't be doing personal services at this point with what information we have. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to like convince my team, but I, I did, um, I wrote out a big, uh, I want to say like presidential address, but it was kind of like that to, to be like, we don't know what we're dealing with here. Like this doesn't look great. Consider like consider stepping away from lashing now. And what I did was we have these online courses with our academy. We were the first company in the world to do like a full blown uh, online academy. And so we had these courses. And so what I did was I said, maybe consider stepping away from lashing and pouring some effort into education so that when we get back to normal, then you can be stronger than ever. So what I did was give away our lash lift course, which was like a $300 course. I gave it away to anyone who wanted it. And we had in one day, 8,400 people sign up for that free course, which again, you could look at as a loss to say, okay, 8,400 times 300 dollars for the skew but what we did then was we you know gained the respect and the trust of all those people it introduced all those people to our online academy that maybe hadn't taken a course before um and then that started generating revenue because that's what really kept us afloat during covid was our online courses right when people couldn't do the services so we had that to fall back on um and then what happened was we actually refilmed that added like four new modules to it then in uh just recently we offered a $49 upgrade, which then generated like tons of revenue for us just because we'd given away that free thing, which was um, a really cool kind of full circle thing. That was never the intention. It was just always to like support them in the weird time. But then it was, it was cool too, that they got an upgrade. We got some revenue and then it was just kind of this, like, I don't know, like this cool support circle that we had going on. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's encouraging stuff. And one of my bigger takeaways and like just keeping the big picture in mind, keeping keeping the people on the other side of all of this in mind. They're not just customers. These are these are real humans. They're they're going through something scary and uncertain as well. And what what I find encouraging of that is just that as a leader, you're you're keeping the big picture, the long term in mind, not just, you know, right now and and making a flash sale or a lash sale, I should say. <laughs> um uh, that was bad. Sorry. But, but yeah, just really, really understanding why you're doing this in the first place and keeping that at, at the forefront of your vision for, for the future. Absolutely. And it was, you know, at the same time, like with, we had so many struggles with our, with our warehouse and, and a headquarters that is yet to open. And we had lots of stuff. We went down just, just so everyone knows like how mm. big the impact was. Like we went from 42 staff down to six during that period. So it was just, it was so rough. It was like, yeah, it was, it was rough, rough stuff. But at the end of the day, it was like, okay, we need to make these, you know, these really tough decisions in order to keep the company alive so that when we are better, we can all come back. But if we try and hold on to you guys for too long, it's going to drive us into the ground. We might not have anything to come back to. And it was a very, very real fear that it was like, cause we were just, yeah, we weren't making enough money to, to pay bills. Like, at all. Um, but happy to say that they're all back. 
and we're we're back at capacity and and California just opened and all of our and our Ontario's opening. There's lots of our key markets that just opened up in the last couple of weeks, which has been like such a breath of fresh air. So and uh, on that, I guess Courtney, with I mean, you so you got a, a president Kim, she's awesome. Um, but there's still this mantle of leadership that you that you hold that you have that you sort of just described. You know you. You go out to the lake to think, or you need to sort of just unplug for a bit and think about the customer. But are there times where you feel alone or in a place of solitude, being the founder, being the sole person that kind of holds this? And and we've likened our companies to childrens. You know, it's it's these are this is our baby. Yeah. Do you ever feel alone in having that, or or not? And and what do you do to 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 balance? balance at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I do feel alone in the, in the way that there's not a lot of people globally that are doing stuff on as large of a scale as sugar lashes. And so there is times where it does feel lonely, where it's like most people in the lash industry, even if they have, you know, kind of an academy, it's just kind of like one-off trainings or they'll launch like a, a product or two. It is a, a lot of responsibility to be literally to be trying to be the end all be all for everyone in the industry. But with that said, I really do feel like I was way more lonely at the beginning. Like I would say the first five and a half years were, you know, people were like, I don't like getting emails at 3am and I don't like that you're not in the office all the time. And I don't like, but it was like, for the first five and a half years, I think I really tried to be the leader that people wanted me to be, if that makes sense. Um, I felt very kind of, I guess, like pigeonholed into, well, the CEO gets to the office first and the CEO leaves last and you don't email people after hours because that stresses them out. And it was always, I always felt like I was doing stuff wrong. And then I kind of had this epiphany where it was like, for sure I'm neurotic. <laughs> like for sure I am just like every entrepreneur and I'm ADD and I'm all those things. Right. And I have manic episodes and I have all those things, but I just had to find my people. And it's only been like, I've only had my people for like a year and a half. But once I got those people, they, if I'm late to a meeting, they don't care. If I'm taking a day at home and I want to work from there, they don't care. And it's just been like this thing, you kind of are trying to prove yourself all the time. And then you get to a certain level where you're like, I'm very happy with what I've done. I don't feel like I need to change, but I feel like I might need to make some changes with who's around me. Cause I think at the end of the day, like you are who you are, right? I'm not saying that I'm the best CEO. I'm probably not. But at the same time, I could hire another CEO to take on the company, but would they understand everything that I understand about the lash artist and being on that other side? And no, they just don't. So it's like, it's a very, very hard thing to wrap your head around. So for the time being, I am staying put. so much about just like kind of being a leader that people want you to be and this i feel like this is like a spider-man quote tom but like hey being, being you know that'll make that, me happy yeah <laughs> being the leader that you need to be or being the leader that people need is that a spider-man yeah quote? yeah it's well, batman I, it's the dark batman. knight but okay there you go. i appreciate yeah. what you were doing sorry yeah yeah <laughs> sorry thank you for your effort kyle yeah yeah thanks for <laughs> <laughs> No, I, yeah, I just think, I think that at the beginning, I think it's so exciting and cool to try and be like, 
oh, like who are leaders of awesome companies? I want to be more like them. But you mm-hmm. do get into this spiral of like comparison to be like, oh, I couldn't do that. Or that's not how I lead. Or, you know, like I've what I've learned about myself, I think, as a founder and CEO is that um, there's like certain things that I like absolutely need in staff. Mm-hmm. And it's like I can't handle rigidity. Like, I don't like when people need, like, this ultra structure. I'm very just, like, bounce all over the place. And I do need people to kind of rein me in sometimes. But they can't resent me for my craziness. Like, that's – because that's what makes me me. And that's what makes – like, when my brain is freed up, that's when all the magic happens, right? But if someone tries to say, well, I made this 84-page spreadsheet. Can you fill it out? Like, I just completely shut down. And I can do it. But I'm yeah. not going to come up with any new exciting ideas and I'm not going to feel inspired and I'm not going to feel like happy with what I'm doing. So when I'm freed up and other people are like, okay, she's not strong here. Let me stand in the gap for her. So she has the space to do what she needs to do. Then then it's all gravy. Then I just velociraptor it up. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good. Yes. No, that's good. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, do you think because there's so much you touched on there, like the importance of like different strengths in teams and like kind of accepting each other as we are and, and leaning into those strengths. Do you feel like your founderness, it allows you to, to, to step into that more easily or, or does it like, does the founderness impact your, your leading or, or if you were a CEO, I guess, okay, like put yourself CEOing another company, would you be the same way? No, no. I think there's a lot that, comes with the heart of it. Like even when I think about starting another company, like I have so many companies on my brain. I'm a very, very much a serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, which on a side note, you guys are also working on the the website for Plush and Oak, which is like kind of a spinoff of Sugar Lash Pro, right? But it's still always like the passion behind it for the lash industry or just for like mm women in general to empower themselves and make amazing money. Like I, I think that business is business to some extent, but I definitely have because it's personal experience where it all comes from. It's just so much easier to be confident about the hole that you're filling. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I could go in and start any company and I could like, I, I and I can, like I, I do mentorships all the time and I can take any industry. It can be the tech industry or it can be whatever. And we can blow it up. Like it's, it's, you know, there is a certain formula to it, but as far as like spearheading new ideas, like you really, really have to understand your industry, like through and through and through and be on, like be on the commercial side of it and be in the home base side of it and be a solo lash artist and have staff and do all that stuff because then you can really speak authoritatively to all the pain points. Right. But if some CEO comes in and it's like, this is what we should do. It's like, well, why? Because it's the bottom line and that's the business thing or because like our customers need it. And I think that that's like the big, I guess, like opportunity or the, or the big strength that being a founder gives you. So on strengths then, I mean, I want to keep talking about you, but just for one second, what are some other brands or, or some founder CEO leaders that you know that are doing it right that you look to and go, you know, who, who do you look up to and, and what about their their founderness, uh, you know, speaks to you and inspires you. I feel like sometimes I'm so, you know what I get inspiration from? I think for me, like I'm super into like the fashion and beauty world just generally. And so like you look at brands like Glossier or even Fenty and, and like Emily Weiss worked, you know, she worked as a, 
editor, which is super cool. So she was really inherently tied to the beauty industry and then just decided to take that on herself. There's a really amazing PR agency that we worked with uh, a long time ago. We, we haven't, but once we launch our consumer line, we will, called Be Social. Allie Grant is her name. And, and it's just, it's these people. I think what inspires me is people that come into an industry and they're like, it's the disruptors, right? Like you have to be bringing something so different. And if you're not, then just don't do it. But if you, I always tell that like all the time, cause it's like in the lash industry, especially it goes, okay, you start as a lash artist, you get to a certain level, you're going to hire staff, then you're going to start training, then you're going to start a product line. And that's like the linear, these are the steps that everybody takes. It doesn't matter to me whether they do or whether they don't. But I always tell people, if you're going to start a product line, like it's a huge undertaking and you'd be better off to just come up with one or two products that are like such a disruption to what's going on and just like fully like double down on that because you're going to get more traction, more attention, right? Like the whole thing about business, I think, is just getting that attention. And when you have people's attention, then you can do whatever you want and, and it'll it'll go, right? But if you're playing it safe all the time or you're not being innovative or you're not bringing something new to the table, then you're just going to get lost in the crowd and it's going to be a waste of your time. So like as far as like reading books and leadership books or, you know, taking stuff. I I learn from everywhere. I learn when I go to hotels and I have amazing customer service, or I learn if I'm shopping in a Gucci and there's a super cool, you know, campaign or, um, you know, just design stuff. Generally, I think I just, I'm so visual that I, I get inspired by, you know, everything. What can you take from a great business and what can, how can you apply it to your business, even, even working with you guys, like even, and and this is not just to say this on this podcast, but like, I've, I've been in business for so long and we've done so many website builds and we've done whatever. And it's like, I've never had an experience like I've had with, with PBJ, like it's been so smooth. And so, um, like everyone's so supportive, but then they're also like, okay, you're late on this. Like we need it, but it's not in like a, it's not even (laughs) like a, I'm upset way. It's like status in risk or whatever it says. And I'm like, oh, we shit. care about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really want to do this. So please don't screw it up. Um, but it's, it's just those things. And it's like, even from working with you guys, it's those, those emails of those status updates. Now I'm going to take that and I'm going to apply that to plush and oak because people would like to know the status of their beds. And it's like, it's that nice communication to know, okay, yeah. you've invested into this. We, we have our eyes on it. We know how it's doing at any point. It's not wondering, okay, well, are they working on a million other projects and ours is falling to the wayside? It always feels like very, very attentive and uh, focused, which I've like loved. And I've, I've taken stuff from that. So I, I think I just pull from everywhere. Hey, pull away. It's it's probably a really good approach and belief. Uh, and we, it's something we believe in. We, we've talked about on one of the previous episodes where we really do believe good ideas come from everywhere. So why not? Yeah. Everyone's got stuff figured out. No one has everything figured out. But if you can take everyone's strengths and pull it into your business, then you're better for it for sure. I like that. Also, uh, we'll send the uh, the check to you later for that uh, nice little testimonial. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just, just let us know where to send it. Um, PBJ for life. Yeah. PBJ for life. <laughs> You're getting the tattoo of that after we're done, right? Yes, we're going to yeah. go together. Love. Oh okay, gosh. perfect. It'll be my... Velociraptors with PBJ for life on the chest. Oh, frig. We're going to sell that on our uh, soon-to-be-launched uh, swag shop. I need a new Zoom background, too. Okay. Well, okay. that we can do 
Okay, I'm just making a little sketch here to remind me to get that <laughs> artwork done. Tattoo with a zoom background. Perfect. PBJ <laughs> four, like the, the number four, right? Life. Yeah. L Y F E. Yeah, of course. Life. Okay. All right. The doodle the doodle is done. And okay. now we can get back to work. <laughs> okay. Thank <great>. you. <laughs> You're Good so ideas. I was going to ask him, in all of that, when does being a founder get in the way? I think that, I mean, I think that it, it hurts in the actual running of the business. Like I am, I, I've definitely got us into trouble with, um, you know, overspending here or over, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Overextending ourselves. Um, with certain things because I'm not actually money driven. I'm like results and growth driven. And so I'll do all the time, whatever to get the growth. And that always comes with supporting the artist. But as far as like internally, like I, I still to this day struggle through financial meetings and I struggle through those spreadsheets and everything that I need to do on that side. That's not creative and is more like meticulous and boring, but you know, I, I am also very, very aware that I'm not great there. And so when I hire a CFO who now I have a great CFO, he knows to like, I mean, essentially dumb it down as much as he can because I'm not smart there. And so as long as he's presenting stuff and then I have Kim also there, who's very strong. And so as long as I have those people that are in charge of it, that are driving the bottom line, I'll always draw the, drive the top line. And, uh, and it works really well that way. Love that. So then what's the most important thing that you do on a day-to-day basis that keeps the company attuned to the values, the mission, the, the focus in the future while also managing the bottom line? I think for me, like my strong point is a, is definitely a strategist and it's more on the marketing side and visuals. That's always been what set Sugar Lash Pro apart. Like even from day one, even if I was to take you back to the first campaign that we ever shot, which by the way was like, well, you guys know the brand well enough to know that it's like dark and very like Tom Forty or Matt Cosmetics or those kind of things. But at the beginning, it was pink. And my first photo shoot was like um, girls with lashes and like sprinkles on their lips. And I was playing on the sugar lash thing. So we had like sugar and sprinkles and it's so not representative of the brand now, but it was so different at the time, right? Like it was just eye catching at the time. And so I think what I'm the most strong at and what I, what I still do kind of day to day and make sure that I'm doing is just making sure that those visuals are always on point. The branding's always on point and the marketing's good. I still mm-hmm. kind of am the founder and then I'm, I'm the marketing director as well. And I don't think I've tried to give up that piece before, but it just doesn't work. I think, I think that's my superpower. That's my secret sauce is just making sure that everything that we do is like, I hate the word edgy. Cause I feel like it's so overused, but somewhat edgy, somewhat thought provoking, somewhat, you know, controversial. We try and do images that aren't necessarily just, you know, pretty that you'd pass by because there's a million pretty images, but doing stuff that's like weird. We, if you look at our campaigns, it's like lots of mess or there's powders or there's dripping or there's, you know, face pulling or, or whatever. Um, and they're always met with like, you know, 80% love and 20% hate, but I'm like, I'm good with that. You know, I would rather that than a hundred percent be like, it's pretty. Well, that's your, get your attention. Yeah. It's gotta be like that. Like, what is this? And even if you hate it, it's okay. 
but it's still going to stick in your mind and you're still going to be thinking about sugar lash. And at the end of the day, I think that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the thing you're trying to go for. And I'm, I'm also, I mean, I'm really happy to hear you took inspiration from what sounds like a Saturday morning with my daughter, um, <laughs> with, uh, powders everywhere, sprinkles and faces getting pulled. So you're welcome. It's, it's like, well, I've got three kids too. I don't know if you guys know that. Not three. No, I thought, well, now I, I know. have, I have I three. Two. So yeah, 12, I've got 12, 12 year old and a nine year old and a six year old. So yes, we are all about the adventure <laughs> and the getting messy and all of that stuff. Yesterday, we actually, uh, Jordan was snowboarding behind the Range Rover and we yep. had, we were in like two feet of snow and we got it stuck. So we spent the afternoon shoveling it out. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> why like you, you do it and you have fun. And when it goes wrong, you have just as much fun laughing about the fact that the Range Rover stuck in the field and all the neighbors are driving by laughing at you. <laughs> yep, but you did something. You did something. You made a memory. You learned a lesson. Now I know not to go in that deep of snow when the snow is wet. So there you go. Check it off. Yeah, learn something. Check new. it off. Now you snow. Now, now you snow. Snow. Well, Courtney, that is uh, a bit of an overwhelming load of brilliance from you. But uh, I have no further questions, and I think we could keep talking, but. We could. This is what I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna leave you off with. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Here's here's in a nutshell. Of all the founders or people that want to be founders and they don't know, here's the thing. I feel like at the end of the day, if you're honest with your capabilities and you are like committed to doing the best that you can every day, growth will just happen. Like it's just a byproduct of the work, right? And that's why Sugar Lash has gotten so big. It's not because I wanted to own a company this big. Actually, there's like tons of times that I resent how big it's gotten because everything is slower, right? All these decisions are like are drawn out. I'm very, very much like a startup brain. But with that said, owning, I think, who you are, owning your limitations and your like shortcomings, if, if you can do that and you don't get stuck in that minutia of doing the stuff that you're not good at, you're so much better for it. And I will leave you with one, my one secret is that know where you work best and know when you work best. And my like literal secret to almost every brilliant idea that I've ever come up with has been between 10 PM and 1 AM in a bathtub. Mine are in the shower. Yeah, there is something about water. I think it's like, it's like creative brains. And so like in, in our headquarters that we're building, I have a bathtub in my office and my staff was like, yes, do it. Like that's, that's what you need. We all know that that's when you think best either that or on planes, but we're not going anywhere anytime soon. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so that's it. Like that's, that's the secret is just knowing, I think it's really, really just knowing who you are knowing who your customer is and the rest just follows. I love that. That is so good. Bubble baths and yeah, late nights. This was so fun guys. That's a whole nother like, and a whole nother topic, but like in terms well, of me and like knowing what, well, yeah, <laughs> well, bubble baths and late nights. I mean, that's, that sounds yeah. like a good book. <laughs> I was going in like knowing yourself and like creating oh. environments for genius and that kind of stuff. But let's just go with bubble baths and late nights. I like that better. You, you go, you go where you're going to go, Kyle. You be a big brontosaurus, you. <laughs> For Courtney, Sugar Lash Pro is built on an exceptional understanding of her customers' needs. 
as a founder who had experienced similar pain points herself, she knew exactly what the product should deliver to give her customers a truly magical experience. But it didn't come without trial and error. Courtney continually reinvents her tactics to make sure that Sugarlash Pro always stays relevant and on top. Thanks for sitting down with us, Courtney, and sharing your recipes for success. And that's it for today's episode. We hope you found it helpful and gained some new ideas to make the brand you lead even better. And if you're looking for even more insights and recipes for success, make sure to follow us on social at Commerce Chefs. And remember to join the Commerce Chefs community launching this fall. Save your spot and join now at commercechefs.com slash community. In the meantime, we're currently deciding which spicy interview to share with you next. Make sure to tune back in on September 30th to find out who it is. And lastly, if you liked this episode and you want to support us, you know you want to. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a dash of Tom. And a pinch of Kyle. And a spoonful of Courtney. We'll be cooking with you again in two weeks.